Welcome to the Charity Matters Podcast. Mr. Rogers' mother said, always look for the helpers. I'm Heidi Johnson, nonprofit founder, lifelong helper, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so excited to finally be sharing these inspiring conversations with our new podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern-day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Today, our guest is Roberta Lombardi, who is the founder of Infinite Strength. I'm excited to share her amazing journey in starting her breast cancer nonprofit and our inspirational conversation. Thank you, Roberta. I'm so happy to have you today. When I um, decided to do the podcast last summer and was thinking, do I want to interview people I've interviewed before or do I want to just have new interviews? The only person that popped into my brain that I just had the most incredible conversation with was you. And you are the only person I have gone back into the Rolodex for um, because I just so enjoy you and just the beautiful work that you're doing. So for anyone that hasn't heard about Infinite Strength or doesn't know what you do, Will you share a little bit about Infinite Strength with us and what you guys do? I would love to. So Infinite Strength is a nonprofit that I started right after I went through my own journey with breast cancer. So I was in treatment for 14 months through the end of 2017. And at the beginning of 2018, I began Infinite Strength to help underserved women with breast cancer uh, with financial you know, the toxicity associated with it. I, I learned really quickly in my treatment that the costs associated with breast cancer are astronomical. Far more than I think your average person would ever, you know, imagine if they hadn't gone through it themselves. Right. And I happened to be at a point in my life where, you know, my husband and I were settled. We had three little girls. We were very financially stable. So I was able to go to treatment and do what I needed to do, but I was surrounded weekly in the hospital by women that were not able to do that. And I would hear their stories and not because they were sharing them with me, but because you're in an infusion room and there's, 12 other people around you and there's a thin drape separating you and you're hearing these women talk to their doctors or talk to whoever is sitting there with them as a caregiver that day about how they don't know if they can afford treatment or they don't know that they can continue because they don't have the money because maybe they're a single mom and they're the only, you know, provider for their child. And it's, do I take care of my child and pay the rent and keep the roof over our head, or do I take care of me? Nobody should be in that position. No. So that's how we started, and our mission has evolved, you know, and we exist mainly to help single mothers who are in active treatment for breast cancer by giving them, you know, grants for what we call basic human needs you know, mortgage and rent, car, utility, phone. And we also give recurring funds. And I think we're one of the few nonprofits that do that recurring funding for women with metastatic breast cancer. 
which means early stage breast cancer patients can come to us once in a calendar year. But a patient with metastatic breast cancer who's basically going to be in treatment for the rest of their life and their average lifespan at that diagnosis is two to three years. Wow. It is going to need all the help they can get. So they can come to us, you know, a couple of times throughout the year and we can assist them with that. So I don't even know. You probably know how many women a year are diagnosed with breast cancer. I, I don't know, but I know it's an enormous, enormous number. And I think of all those people that have gone through treatment, have gone through experience like you've gone through, not all of them, actually probably very few, maybe 1% of them take all that pain and um, learning and all the things you learn through your cancer journey and, and start a nonprofit. They don't. So, so why, what was it for you? And, and when was, I know the moment, but our audience doesn't know the moment, um, that that kind of, that you realized that you needed to do something. So, you know, something I've learned and I I keep learning, obviously, as I'm in this, Mm -hmm. everybody handles it in their own way and not everybody wants to then make their life's work this disease. It's hard because you got to pick up the pieces of your own life. But for me, similar to what other women go through, I'm in the middle of treatment and I'm getting more depressed from all the chemotherapy drugs that they give me and the steroids and the loss of hair and, you know, the changes in my body. And my husband walks into the kitchen one day and I'm at the sink and my back is to him and he goes, honey, we just got a bill for one of your chemos from insurance. And he goes, I mean, our insurance takes care of it, but $80,000, oh $80,000, hon. How do people that don't have money afford this? And he throws the bill on the counter. And by this time, I turned around. And it was like a bolt, you know, when, like a lightning bolt for me. And my husband's always been an advocate for anyone that's underserved, right? right. Huge heart. Help anybody, give anybody the shirt off his back. And I'm kind of used to him going on these little rants. Right. But all of a sudden, it it really made sense to me that, yeah, how how are these women ever going to be able to stop this cycle? Like, because it is, it's a never-ending cycle. The women we help, they're already having trouble financially anyway. Right. How do you get off the roller coaster? Because things just keep happening, right? Right. So that was the moment the idea was sparked. And I used to be an event planner, you know, years ago before I had my kids. And and he said to me, you ought to do an event to raise money. (laughs) At the moment, bald and awful. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do a, let me do a gala, you know. I didn't want to get dressed. I didn't want to put on my shoes, right? Right, right. I didn't want to look in the mirror. But you know what? I I spoke to my oncologist about it because I didn't, I thought, well, let me just see. At the time, you know, I was being treated at Yale. So I thought, let me just see where they stand on this. And it was the craziest thing because they had just gotten a new head of their breast cancer center. And their previous 
um, you know, doctor in charge was not about fundraising, was not about having any of that on her plate. Their new one was. Ah. And she was only in the position for a few months. And I mean, that's all I needed to do was say something to my oncologist. And she went right back and she talked to her boss. And then she said, can we meet for breakfast? And and at this point, I'm still not really going out. She comes to my house. And we sit around the table and we talk. And I'm not kidding you, Heidi, it happened in three days. In three days, I went from, I'm going to do an event to give back and help women to, you need to start a nonprofit. To make this work, you need to start a nonprofit. And you're sick. And you're sick. And I'm, yeah, and I'm at the end of treatment, feeling lousy, about right. ready to go on oral chemo. And that makes you feel just as <laughs> And but you know what happened is I had something else to focus on. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? That that is my saving grace. And that is why I made the decision to do this full time and make it my work. And I don't expect everybody else to. Everybody finds their own way through this. But for me, that got me out of my own head enough that I didn't always worry because one of the, one of the things we all have to go through in, in this breast cancer journey, and I, I'm pretty sure any cancer journey is that fear of recurrence. Right. And when you're in treatment for so long, and in my case, I went to the hospital weekly, you, that's your new normal. Your old life is a distant memory. Right. Your new normal is treatments and hospitals and blood draws, and that's your new normal. So then you kind of, you know, okay, you had your last treatment, and, you know, you don't have to come back to the hospital weekly. And everybody around you is like, it's over. Yes, celebrate. And there you are. You're shattered. I mean, right. I didn't feel like myself. Just because it was over didn't mean I felt good. Right. You know, it takes months to get all that junk out of your system and you're left with trying to figure out, okay, well, what is getting on with my life going to look like? It's not going to look like what it used to look like anymore because it changes you. You're not the same person. But yet you had this vision of this, this new purpose, this new, right, right, this new mission. And so in a way, and I think, I think other you know, nonprofit founders would probably agree with this when they've founded it out of their own, you know, experience. It was a really hard time for me. It was a really hard time for my young girls and my, um, my, my husband, my loved ones. But I think they thought, okay, she's done. She's going to move on. I couldn't move on because I was still living it. I was still living breast cancer. And I think that, you know, I give my family credit because I think the first year, (laughs) year after treatment, where I'm still talking about breast cancer every day, (laughs) it was hard for them to swallow. They were like, wait, are you right? We're done with this. We want to move on. We don't want to talk about this anymore. Are you going to stop? And, you know, I'm getting the nonprofit off the ground and I'm giving interviews and I'm trying to get press releases out. So press is calling me. And it was tough, but you know what? Best thing I've done. Wow. Well, and I think it's interesting because 
of everyone that I've spoken to, I mean, 99% at least can tell you the moment and they all say it's like a lightning bolt. They all know that moment because it was so powerful and there was something that happened in that moment. Um, it's very rare. I, I've talked to someone that doesn't know the moment. And, um, and I think that that's just, it's fascinating. And it is, it's like a, I don't know if it's a calling or what it is, but it, all of a sudden your life changes direction completely, completely. And you're all right. I mean, here you are, you're coming out of chemo. You're not feeling well. You have three little girls and you decide to take this huge pivot. So, <laughs> and most people start a nonprofit, obviously don't know um, what's coming. And, you know, we kind of chuckle like, if you, right. If you knew what you've done it, I don't know. I mean, yes and no. Right. But it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So what are some of the challenges that you've faced? So, you know, at first it was, okay, I don't know anything about actually starting a nonprofit and, and running a nonprofit. And, and there's all those ramifications from a tax perspective. And I mean, right. there's no things you have to think about. But then it's a business, it's a business, right? It's a business. And then donors, well, gee, it's not going to work if I don't have donors and <laughs> nobody donates. Like, what do I do then? I mean, it was just, you know, those were the early issues that I worried about. Those were also the easiest issues <laughs> that I had because, you know, we've lived in Connecticut for a long time. So I had a lot of friends and obviously the hospital at the time, you know, we started out supporting the patients at one hospital and now we're, we're a lot bigger than that, but they helped us spread the word. But now as, as we've evolved and it's been three years, right? you know, we're expanding and I have a hard time saying no to any patient. So patients That's find us, and they email and, you know, it started out where I'm from Philadelphia or I'm from New Hampshire or I'm from wherever. Oh, people are coming from all out of your region. Yeah. And I couldn't say no. So my goal was let me, let me try to help women in New England and just kind of broaden, right? <laughs> okay. And just as I get ready to launch, the pandemic hits with that. Oh. So then I'm like, ooh, because we were supposed to have our big gala in 2020 that it was projected to break our other records and that's how we were going to find the funds. And, well, life happens. Right. Right. And strange things <laughs> come from it that you would never expect. So the pandemic 100%. happens and everybody stops going to the doctors and everybody starts having their mam stops having their mammograms because everything's COVID. Well, I was worried about not taking in any money because you couldn't have a fundraiser. Right. But on, the, but on the flip side, people weren't coming asking for money either because they weren't being diagnosed. Oh, interesting. Right. So I did just a plain old appeal and I didn't do it during the spring months, which is normally when our gala is. I waited until the holiday time. Right. Uh, you know, at the end of the year. And I just didn't ask. I just did a plain old ask and it worked. And Aww. so what we did is, sure, we didn't break records, but we did as well as we would have done any other year that we had existed. Fantastic. And I still had some money left. Right. So we just, so we're still helping people, you know, so through good. New England. 
And so that's great. And we've, you know, we currently, we help about 24 hospitals in Connecticut. Wow. So the patients from there, um, from any of those 24, and they're the biggest hospitals. They're the, you know, Hartford Healthcare has seven of them and Yale has 14 cancer care centers. And so we're, we're up there. Um, and then it's just me making introductions. And that's now my biggest issue is that COVID has changed everything. Everything. So I'm trying to get out into Maine and New Hampshire, which have very high breast cancer rates. And they also have a lot of poverty, and people don't realize that. They think of them as little vacation spots. Right, right. There's a lot of poverty there. And so I'm calling the hospitals, and I'm talking to the development officers, and I'm talking to the social workers and the nurse navigators. But to try to get them to send patients my way is challenging because you know what they really want right now is they want, I mean, I'm being brutally honest here. They want you to make a gift to the hospital. Oh, interesting. So you have almost like competition in a weird way. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, everyone's trying to help everybody, obviously. And the hospitals need to pay, keep the lights on and pay their doctors and they have their expenses, but you're, you're meeting a different, a different place. Um, you're feeling a different need. And for some, I mean, I worked at um, the nonprofit I started was at a children's hospital and I, and there's definitely um, interesting hospital dynamics with nonprofits. I think that's maybe it. Hospitals are very political places Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, and fundraising teams at hospitals can be very political. And, and I've definitely walked, um, walked in those shoes. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And the other thing that I think that you said that is um, that resonates is that people you couldn't say no. People are coming from everywhere and you can't say no. And I think that that's what I find so typical of what I like to call the helpers. You're a helper. And our um, our innate goodness and flaw is that we can't serve everybody. The needs almost going to be greater than we can meet. And yet right. we're so hardwired and thinking, we have to serve more. We have to help more. We have to do more. And, and we just get on this treadmill and, and yet we somehow are never satiated because people are going to keep coming at us constantly. And we're, there's always going to be more need than can be met. I mean, and that's, I think one of the hardest parts of this work is having it's, sometimes having to say no. I know. Cause there are times that I'll hear a story from a patient. They'll email me. I'll read it. And I'll sit with it for a while, and I really do want to help, but I mean, they're on the other end of the country, right? And it's not I can't, here, right? Right. So I, I give them all the resources I know of that they can go right. to, you know, and that's the best I can do at this point. But my, like I said, my big challenge right now is trying to walk that careful line with the new hospitals that I'd like to form partnerships with. Because, you know, right now we had streamlined everything during COVID. When I saw the direction things were going with COVID, I said, oh, we have to change everything around. So I now am fortunate enough to be able to process all the grants myself. I don't have to give the donations to the hospital. I process them. The application's right on the website. People can come to me directly. 
I get that connection with the patient, which I love. Which is so great. And then I write the checks on behalf of the patient to the bills that they give to me. So I'm not even giving the money to the patient. There is either rent paid. They give me the address and their account number, and I send it off with a note saying that this person has been granted something from Infinite Strength, and please apply it to their mortgage. And that's how I, I handle that. But the hospitals, you know, COVID took a huge toll on them financially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They were closed. I mean, they're right. they're doing surgeries. Right. And they're looking for that donation. Yeah. And, you know, it's tricky. tricky. And, And the fact of the matter is I want control with our funds because ultimately I'm accountable. Right, for our fund. right, right. Because <laughs> the donors are coming to you, you can't just give it to another nonprofit right. to distribute. Well, right. I, mean, that's, also, I, I, I get that. Also, I feel like in the past, the hospitals kind of wanted to put a a cap on what they were offering to patients. And yes, I put a cap on it too, but it's a a pretty good cap. Where they were saying, if somebody, for instance, one hospital saying, well, this woman needs. $1,000 to pay her mortgage, you can give her 500 And I was like, well, where's she going to get the other 500 from? Right. In other words, if you're going to help somebody, help them. Help them, right. Because it's not taking any burden off their shoulders to say, well, go find the other half somewhere else, but we're going to help <laughs> you with that. It doesn't work. Right. right. And that's the, other, that's the other piece, that control piece of, okay, I'm not doing this to give somebody – you know, a partial payment on something or or to relieve their burden halfway. I'm really looking to help. So we're going to take this from here. Right. So they can focus on their health and their children and, and, and what matters and not that food and rent don't matter, but they have other, they have some big things they're, they're wrestling with. And, and that's the whole point. So I think that that's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, as we said, this work is hard. It's not easy raising the money. It's not easy dealing with the challenges. It's not easy. Sometimes with the political things we run into in this work, um, definitely with hospitals and we can have a side conversation about that yeah. later, yeah. but what fuels you when it's hard, when it's, when you have to say no to someone because they're out of your region or when you, you can't take care of someone or you hit these roadblocks. What, what keeps you going when it's just hard? Every single time I have felt a little bit worn out, a little bit like, oh, my gosh, I just. That's when somebody crosses my path that I'm like, oh, see, this is why I do it. This is why I do it. And it's the truth. It's either it's a patient who's contacted me and their story just touches me. It's, you know, things like meeting their children and, and seeing what it does to the kids to have their mother ill. I mean, obviously I know that from my own experience, but it's still different when you're talking to patients who are, how do I, I say this all the time when I write um, different articles the women that mostly that I support and that Infinite Strength supports, their whole life's been a battle. They just don't get a break. Okay. Right. Many of the women we help are black women and they are underserved. They don't have the access to medical care the way we right. that are of a different skin color do. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's not a joke. I mean, it's true. They get less right. time spent with them. 
this disease hits them harder, their death rate is higher than a woman that's white. And so a lot of these women that I that I interact with, they've just not had a fair shot in life on a lot of things and they've struggled. And so then they, you know, their kids are a part of this, right. you know, and and that's the heartbreaking part for me. And that's the part that I'm like, no, I have to find a way to really make an impact and to give these kids hope that, you know, their mom's going to be okay, but also that there's kindness in the world, that somebody cares. And, and I, you know, I helped a woman in Washington who was a single mom and she had one son. When I first helped her, she, the pandemic hadn't happened yet, but she was going to get evicted because she was so sick she couldn't go to work. And bless her heart, she sent me her whole resume. So I knew that she was trying. I knew right. that she had held a job. I knew from her social worker and her doctor what her health situation was. She was not trying to beat the system. Right. So I helped her. It was November. She, they were going to throw her out right before Thanksgiving, her and her son, in the cold in D.C., Wow. She came back to me again after COVID and she said, I was doing better. You helped me and I was able to start catching up. And then COVID happened. And now my son doesn't have a computer at home to do his schoolwork. I can't afford the school supplies. He's got one year left of high school. I need him to have a high school degree. I don't know what to do. And nobody, these are her words, nobody's ever cared about me enough to help the way you did oh you made me cry roberta so i you know what that's that's the beauty of being a small nonprofit and running it pretty much yourself (laughs) i made the decision i got the kid a computer you know i helped her i paid her rent but i did something else nice for her because you know what again it's about helping the child you know we all know as mothers you're happy is your least happiest child, right? <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, yeah. yes. But also, you know, for a child to have to go through that emotional anguish when they know that their parent is ill and suffering. Especially a single parent. Right. So, parent. yeah. So, you yeah. know, it, those are the things that keep me going. All those wow. little experiences, all that interaction and I meet the best women. I really do. They're very, very special. They're very strong and, and they're super appreciative. And most of them all say to me, someday I hope to be able to give back someday after I'm through with this and things get better for me, I want to do something like you're doing. Oh, I love that. I love I that. That should be your next project, starting a alumni chapter that they can help <laughs> counsel the other women. There you go. Peer to peer mentoring. There you go. Well, just like you need something else, something else you something else you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you said that because when I started Infinite Strength, oh, I'm going to say I was six months in, I got introduced to a, a woman who had just lost her sister to metastatic breast cancer. And um, my friend, we've become friends, her name is Rachel. Her sister, Michelle, had gotten diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015. It came back as metastatic shortly after her treatment ended. 
and she passed in early 2019, leaving behind a little girl, like three years old. Rachel reached out to me because she had heard about Infinite Strength. She's from Connecticut, her whole family is, and she just wanted to talk. We spent two hours on the phone. She was crying. We were talking. And remember, this wasn't that far out from, you know, my own experience. Right, right. We, we bonded and we've become friends over the years. And she is one of the kindest people. And what she took from her sister's struggle is that she really felt she had the opportunity to help. She was fortunate and she was going to help women that needed help with breast cancer. She's also got a background in the biotech industry. So she knows chemotherapies and she knows how they affect women. She knows the different types of breast cancer and the stages and the various treatments. So she's got a a whole unique perspective and she's got the caregiver perspective of taking care of her sister. So our friendship has just evolved. And when we walk together and we, you know, we chat on the phone and one night she said, can I call you? I have a favor to ask. Sure. She said, I was wondering if you would do a support group with me. I just feel that I'm called to do it. And I would love for you to to join me. I don't want to do it without you. The craziest thing, craziest thing was the hospital had just called me the day before one of the social workers from one of the networks and said, we're finding that the need for a support group is great. And we don't really offer that. Right. Would you think about doing it? And I said, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I've got to give it some thought. And then she and I'm like, okay, well, this is like a sign, right? Yep, it is. So we are launching what we have named HOPE. And HOPE stands for Mm -hmm. Healing Open-Hearted Patient Empowerment. And for right now, it is going to be a virtual gathering of women. And we're going to do twice a month. And because it's virtual, anybody from anywhere can do it, can join right, in. Right. And we're just going to offer that support through a woman's breast cancer journey, covering kind of all the topics and all the things that are uncomfortable to talk about. I mean, right. quite honestly, right. you know, right. the challenges for your body and intimacy with your right. partner and how do you tell your child you have cancer? I mean, all those things and more. And just, you know, you're angry. You're angry that you're going through this. You're angry it's happened to you. And right. having a place to talk to people that have walked in the path or are walking in the path you're walking in. Because I know when I started, gift. you know, my cancer journey, I didn't, I looked on the internet and I was reading things that I probably shouldn't have been reading. <laughs> There's never anything good you're going to find on WebMD. No. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> no, no, it's true. It scares you if you don't know what you're it's looking scary. for. Right. You know, one thing leads you to another. And before you know it, you're no. So I never found my community until I was through treatment and I started the nonprofit. And that's when I started meeting people throughout the country that were just amazing. I was like, wow, if I had known about this, it could have really changed my perspective. One of the people that has been hugely influential to me is uh, a woman by the name of April Stearns, who she was a very young breast cancer survivor. She got breast cancer after the birth of her little girl. And 
she then started a magazine called Wildfire. And it's a breast cancer magazine for young women with breast cancer. And, and when we say young women, we're talking like, you know, 30s, 40s, okay. late 40s. But honestly, it's for everybody. I like every- your definition of young. That works for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's for everybody. Okay. Um, and all of the stories are written by breast cancer survivors. Oh, so good. And this magazine is life-changing for a woman with breast cancer because it's it's six issues a year. Every issue has a theme. And when you're reading the articles, it tells you who wrote them, how you can find them, you know, what they've done, if they've done anything, if they've just right. chosen to submit an article or do they have a nonprofit or how are they helping others in the world with breast cancer. That's so then you can reach out and it just makes our community feel like such a sisterhood. Right. And, a, and connected. And I think right now with COVID, people are longing for community. They're longing for connection. Whether you're sick or not, people are looking to find a tribe. Um, people are feeling mm-hmm. isolated and lonely. And then you right. add all of the health issues and the other struggles they're going through. I mean, it just, like you said, it, things compound on each other. And so I think that's such a beautiful gift. Well, so tell me what, I mean, I know you've done so many things to be successful, and I know that this is another thing you're going to do that's going to be hugely <laughs> successful. I'm excited for you, and I think it's brilliant. Um, but what what do you like to say your impact is? And it doesn't have to be numbers or funds or whatever, but what, what do you like to say that, what do you think you've, you've, what your impact has been, whatever you think that is, people that you've served or however you would define it? Well, for me, it's more the emotional impact. I mean, I can define it as in three years, we've raised close to $300,000. Again, we're small, but I think that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, no, (laughs) not bad. Not bad at all. You should be very proud. Um, But for me, it's the emotional impact of the peace of mind we're giving to these women. And that's how I measure it. I measure it by what they say, what the kind words that they write when their child says something to me, right? you know, about what it means, that is when I know what I'm doing is very worthwhile. And that's what spurs me on, you know, to keep going and to keep, keep growing. growing. Well, those are our paydays, right? That's how we get, yeah. that's how we get paid. We get paid in human kindness and those impacts, those lives that we touch, knowing in some small way that we have some moment of grace in someone else's life. I mean, there's just, there's nothing better than that. Like it's just about, and it's addictive, which is why we keep doing it, which is Mm -hmm. why we can't get off these treadmills, which is a great thing because we're here to help other people. And, and that's such a blessing and a privilege to be able to do that. I mean, I think that we're so lucky that we get to do that. So do you have like a motto or a phrase or something that you kind of live by that that you is kind of like something that always that keeps you going or something you refer to or I mean I don't have a motto or a phrase um my my kind of like little mantra that I used for myself in my head as I looked in the mirror every day and didn't like what was looking back at me through it Right. Was I just kept telling myself I'm strong. You know, my husband kept saying, honey, you're strong. You're going to get through this. You're strong. And, you know, some days well, I would be tired of hearing you're strong, you're strong, you're strong. I knew I was strong. And you don't have a choice. You have to be strong. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> but 
I, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't, I wasn't happy with me. Right. And I, I realized, I think more than ever before that beauty has nothing to do with how you look. And Amen. so my mantra became strength is beauty. Oh, I love that. And that, that's, that's what's helped me, I think, the most. You know, I always had some vanity. I always loved to, you know, I loved clothes, and I loved to have my hair done, and I loved Girl, you know, that's what girls like. <laughs> you know, I always loved that, and I always tried to take care of myself. And And once I had my mastectomy and everything about my body changed, it was really, really hard for me to find any pleasure in looking at myself in the mirror. Right. And I grew up, you know, in a way that my mother always had a very poor body image. And she always told my sister and I that we were too fat or we needed to slim down or somebody else was thinner than we were. And who does that, right? <laughs> Not appropriate. But we're going back in the day. Right, all right. It's a different time, and that's what her mother probably told her. And that's different just, time, right? Right. But so I already had that in my head, and then you have everything else going on, you know, as an adult. And and there was one day that I looked in the mirror finally, and I knew that's when I knew like enough time had passed that I was really coming out the other side. And I thought, you know what? I'm okay with me. And I am. Oh, Believe it or not, be. now I really am. But I think I think it takes time. Right. And and it time not just for your body to settle from everything that happened to it physically, but time for your mentally, emotionally, the whole thing. And then all of a sudden the pieces start to fit again. You know, and and you emerge you know, differently, but just as good, if not better in a lot of ways, I think. Probably better. And so that leads me to my next question. And as we kind of start wrapping up is what life lessons have you learned on this journey? There's so many because um, most nonprofit founders, especially you, have gone through these incredible challenges and out of them come this nonprofit. But then you're in this privileged position that, you know, you get to see the best and worst of humanity, and there's so many lessons in this, so many lessons in all of it. So what would you say, like, the big lessons that you've that you've taken away from this since you started in 2018? I think that I one of the biggest lessons I've learned is not to be so judgmental. I think prior to breast cancer, I was more judgy. I just was. I mean, in, in a lot of different ways, not just about people, about myself and, and about life and how I thought life should be. And I had expectations and I, all that kind of fell away. And I learned to let go of control. I learned that I, you know, I can plan you know, 365 days on the calendar of what I'm going to do, but life's going to tell me if I'm going to ever do any of it, right? Uh, yes, it is. And so I cannot control things. I've learned that everybody has a story. This is this is what I mean by judging. 
You don't know what somebody else's life is. They show you what they want to show you. Right. And you don't know what they're going through. Right. You just don't. And so now, well, before I think if somebody maybe wasn't always as kind as they could be or they, I perceive them to be a little more aloof, I don't know if I took it personally or I'd like kind of shy away because I think, oh, you know, now I realize has nothing to do with me. You don't know what anybody's life is like and what's going on in the background. And the more somebody is maybe aloof or maybe not as kind, maybe the more kind I am because they need it. Right. And that's a huge lesson, especially huge. if you're, especially if you're busy and you're one of those people that's like, well, you know, I've got a million things to do. I can't worry about this right now. Well, you, just take the time because I've realized in my work just that little bit of kindness or a smile or doing something extra makes a person's day so much better. And you don't know where they were at that moment. I mean, my kids and I, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's little things, but you know, we'll go for a coffee and we'll pay for the car behind us randomly. And we do that all the time now. My daughters do it now. They're like, yeah, we just think it's nice to do. Make somebody's day bright. You know, it's a little thing, but it is the little things of trying to be understanding. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned. I love that. Have you heard this about the studies? And I, I should know the, the statistics, but there's a study on kindness that they studied people who were buying the coffee behind them in the drive-thru and most of the people turned around and bought the car. It kept, it keeps going. Oh, it keeps I love going. That. There's been a study on it. I need to look it up for you, but there's been a study and it keeps going. So when you do something kind, it just keeps spiraling more goodness. So I love that a, you've infused that when your girls B, obviously you live that you've, you've learned so much and you're giving so much. And I think that's what's so miraculous to me and why I'm obsessed with people like you because you're my heroes because bad things happen to people all the time bad things happen all the time it's life mm -hmm. bad things happen it's just life but who takes that that pain or that illness or whatever it is and turns it into fuel for good a rare a rare breed of 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 people and you are one of that rare breed, Roberta. You are just <laughs> such a special human and I can't even tell you how much I enjoy talking to you and learning from you because this is inspirational. So tell me and tell all of us how we can support you, where we can donate, how we can get involved, where we can find more about Infinite Strength. Okay, well, infinitestrength.org is our website and you can donate right through the website. There's a donations page. And then, of course, we're on Instagram at Strength for Healing. Facebook is Infinite Strength. And, you know, I and we have the social media platforms. I'm not always, you know, on them, but I love getting emails. I love people sharing their stories with me, even if, you know, they're on the other side of the country and they just want to say hi. And this is what I do. I love hearing about it. Love that. I love that. Well, you are remarkable. And I think the world needs a lot more Roberta's. That's for 
darn sure. You are well, right back at you. Thank you. You are a super special, a super special one. So I'm so grateful for you for sharing your story. I love what you're doing right now to help others and your support group and your new hope. And yeah. um, and thank you for giving hope to all of us about kindness and people that people are good because you just remind Aww. us that and that's the gift. Need it more than ever, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Roberta. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters Podcast. I really enjoy talking to Roberta Lombardi about what it takes to start a business that changes people's lives. I think Roberta's comment about you never know what people are going through and to always find kindness was so inspiring and true. To learn more about modern-day heroes like Roberta, Or if you'd just like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love it if you shared this with your family and friends. Remember that together we can make a difference, one small act of kindness at a time.